Hi everyone, my name is Stephen Wakabayashi and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, mindfulness through the eyes and soul of a gay Asian. Every episode I share with you what's on my mind or things I'm struggling with and how I'm working through it to help you live a more mindful, fabulous life. This week, I am joined by our returning guest, Derek Tran. Hi, Derek. Hi, Stephen. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hope you're doing well in this quarantine. Oh, this is hard, let me tell you, just being at home. How are you doing? I'm leaning into it. I, I'm a lot more comfortable with it than I was at the beginning, and I'm sure everyone is kind of feeling the same way. Oh, yeah, it was. I Well, for me, I started the quarantine two weeks before everyone started it because I was in Asia. I was in South Korea and Japan right before. And then when I came back, they told me, you have to self-quarantine because you're in Asia. And I said, okay. But then when the self-quarantine ended, the quarantine started. <laughs> wow, you're, aren't you yeah. capricious? I mean, not capricious, but you know, you're so well-prepared. <laughs> well-prepared, yeah. And so I wanted to bring you on the podcast to talk a little bit about what's happening right now not just about how we're managing it, but also a lot of the racism that's happened because of the coronavirus right now. And everything that's happening with the coronavirus is so terrible. There's people being sick, struggling, fighting for their lives on ventilators, and COVID is also tearing families apart. People are dying alone all by themselves in hospitals unable to be with their family members. And mm -hmm. even more than that, I think there has been widespread xenophobia and racism that's transpired through many things. And you remember when all the articles, when coronavirus was first coming out, right? Where they had Asians in every single thumbnail photo. Actually, you know what? You don't even have to remember that far. Um, just today or yesterday, the CDC posted an article about uh, coronavirus and they use old Chinese art as the cover page. So it's not so far in the distance. People are still very much, the CDC, yes, it's still associating with Asia. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge difference. I remember one of the articles just talking about coronavirus in Italy and they had Asian people on it and it just didn't make any sense. And I am so glad people are now starting to speak out about it. People are angry about it because it's not right. But even more than that, we have our president, Donald Trump, calling this a China flu. And even with a bunch of criticism, he's like, well, it's from China. What are you supposed to call it? As if a flu can have ethnicity. It affects everyone, regardless of socioeconomic status, of age, of color, of anything, of belief, religion. It affects everyone right now. So it's pointless to really associate it with one ethnicity. It's to pass blame. Yeah, exactly. And on top of the CDC, the FBI a few weeks back warned that there was going to be an observed increase of violence towards Asians. They said it mm. was about 100% daily attack increase and women were three times more likely to be attacked, which is scary. It's really scary. It's it's really disheartening to see all the videos out there right now. Yeah, yeah. And some of the stuff people say, right, go back to China, Kung flu, and eating bats. You started this because you ate that. <laughs> yep, there you go. I know. And we were talking about this before we started recording about how this is a little bit new for us 
right? I, I just feel like it's the first thing in probably 30, 40, 50 years that you can really jump on in terms of a negative uh, stereotype of Asians like Fu Manchu, go back to China, certain anatomical differences in Asian men and, and Ching Chong, things like that, SARS of 2000. Yeah. So this is the first one to really come out because what can you really think of in the last however many years? of stereotypes you can think of an asian nerd a kung fu artist jackie chan sai i guess when that was so viral but this is the first thing that really people can really jump on to really kind of subjugate asians to really make them feel bad about themselves it's it's new for us and we're still trying to figure it out because we're still um, dealing with the ramifications of this this I guess it's a bad PR yeah. move by by, <laughs> by the by the government. I mean, come on, they pushed upon us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And even a lot of the SARS, right? The SARS happened in 2002. The remnants mm-hmm. of it are still prevalent too. So it's this compounded effect where there's all this racism, and then whatever new things they can grapple onto, they're just throwing it at us. And so even just like the SARS mentality, how you see all of these images that come out where if SARS had happened, of course, this is all because of the Asians now. And it just, it doesn't make any sense. And a few weeks back, was it a few weeks back? I feel like my, I'm just losing track. It could have been just like two weeks back where Andrew Yang posted that article, that horrific op-ed on Washington oh, Post. God. Yeah, oh, God. about how... I'm reading a quote right now, how in his call to action, he argued that Asian Americans, we should combat the coronavirus related racism by, quote, helping our neighbors, donating gear, vote, wear red, white, and blue, volunteer, fund aid organizations, and, quote, demonstrate we are part of the solution, and how the most horrific one, quote, we Asian Americans need to embrace and show our Americanness in ways we have never before. See, the part that gets me is the wearing the red, white, and blue. That's just, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like a lot of us already perform our civic duties and yeah. we're well on top of that already. So that was very unfortunate, especially his, um, his interview with Lisa Ling afterwards. Yeah, it was a lot to be desired for. Yeah, and she brought him on to give him another platform to really just talk about what he had mentioned in the op-ed. And she was trying so hard to pull out deeper conversations, you know. It was more like pulling teeth. Exactly, it was pulling teeth. And I think at the end of it, what Lisa Ling wanted Andrew Yang was to call out the aggressors, you know, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money we make, what we wear, if it's red, white, pink, blue, purple, whatever it is, however much money we donate, however much money we make, at the end of the day, regardless of all of the things we do, racism cannot be stopped unless it is by the people who perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on top of that, Yang had mentioned that once coronavirus is over, that the racism will be over because, you know, that's worked for us so many times in the past and so many other ethnicities in the past. So it's, it's, a, it's a little ridiculous. 
it is it is absolutely ridiculous and there's nothing that we need to do to show our americanness just the fact that we are varying degrees we're of citizenship exactly we're here we can have a green card a work permit or a resident or a citizen we are an american because we're here in america working in america living in america it's not something that you magically earn a badge because you've done it's not like boy scouts where you do all these things and all of a sudden you get a american badge and i think just the way immigration works in the us it it proves that just because you're born here it doesn't necessarily give you more americanness than someone that was not because you can earn that in terms of getting into the country we're here we're supporting the country we're american to the core at the end of the day we need a band together to work through how we can address this by addressing our aggressors to still continue the good that we do right we all contribute so much especially if you think about the doctors and the nurses who are on the front lines fighting they're mostly asian too mm-hmm. yeah and there's there's actually been a lot of stories of um patients actually rejecting care from these asian american doctors which uh, i just don't get it's just that's ridiculous. Your, it, your, the, the ignorance is that high that they, they don't want to be fixed. That's absolutely like, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. After this is all said and done, I think when we take a good look at everything that had happened, I really hope we can reflect and see that this virus could have potentially perpetuated even more because of the racism and the xenophobia. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And even as we take a look at what happened in China and Asia, as all of that side of the world had thousands of people dying, nobody else anywhere in the world did anything. You know, they didn't even flinch. Mm -hmm. Europe didn't Mm -hmm. do anything. America sure as heck did not do anything at all. Mm -hmm. And I, I really sincerely hope after this is all said and done that we will address these pandemics very differently, regardless of where it comes from. I mean, we've been warned about it for years. Several presidents have already mentioned Bush mentioned it, uh, Barack Obama mentioned it. And so it's just in terms of a humanitarian crisis that we should really jump on these pandemics or just worry about where these diseases are coming from because they they affect humanity as a whole. You're right, you're right. And you also sent me today an article that John Cho had posted. Mm-hmm. He posted an article about how even as Asian Americans, as much as we can succeed in the U.S., that we'll always be considered other. I think one of the key points that he took away, that I took away from it, were the fact that there are other minorities still struggling. And if we fail to support them, then we can't really put them to blame for not supporting us. And another one was that that the hate is a lot closer to home than we realize. It's yeah. actually surrounding us. They seem so far, but they're actually really, you know, something has happened to a few of my friends and their family members already. Yeah, you had mentioned that he had learned it through his tour, right? Yes, uh, he was actually, this was Harold and Kumar, I guess, and it was a couple of years after 9-11. And so... The person that played Kumar was going through TSA checks and he would be repeatedly taken out, be taken out and just his luggage would go through. And there was actually a story where he was go- they were both traveling with a Caucasian cast member and he had pulled out like 
a giant knife out of his bag after they have already left TSA just to show you who they are picking out and who they aren't. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it, you can see the prejudice there. So you can only imagine how that would relate to Asian Americans right now, being constantly associated with this quote-unquote Chinese virus. Wow, that is ridiculous. And then you just mentioned some of the racism that you experienced, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there was a few situations where I'm just walking down the street, and this was way before the lockdown. I'd, I'd say a month, a month and a half before the lockdown, when the news was really first picking up on the stories. And I walked down the street, and there was a guy, he, as I looked up, he had a bandana covering his face. And this was way before anyone was using bandanas. Yeah. And as I turned back around, uh, just to look at him, just to see if, you know, it was just in my head or something. He's now facing me with his arms up saying like, hey, yeah. what's up? Do you want to do something about it? Yeah. Wow. And, you know, like in this, those situations, I, we've, I think we've all been kind of conditioned to just let it go and just, you know, just don't think anything of it. That has negatively affected us in so many ways. So I really try to implore people to address it, which in that moment I did. I addressed it and I resolved the situation. We'll just say that. How did it make you feel at that moment? It made me feel weak, actually. It made me feel so helpless and that people actually felt that they could just do this to another person without any kind of repercussions or just, dude, just be a decent person. Why, why did you have to do this? Yeah. I think that's a big question that we can ask a lot of the people in the Asian community why we're so silent. And mm -hmm. there's so many reasons I could list off the top of my head, right? We have filial piety where we listen to our parents without any questions. We mm -hmm. respect our elders, any authority figures. And you had mentioned too, there's this whole refugee side, this refugee learned experience too, right? Yeah, because, you know, as, you know, as a Vietnamese, as the son of a refugee, um, a Vietnamese refugee, she was constantly afraid that, well, we'll just bring it back to Vietnam. They were basically pushed out because, or just trying yeah. to escape because of a really, just a bad situation. And so when you're in this new environment, you're constantly told like, hey, just don't make waves so that we can be here and we can thrive here. And I feel like that's a very common theme yeah. within the refugee community. A lot of being conflict-averse, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, being forced to assimilate. Yep, yep, absolutely. And a lot of them sometimes are silent because they also want to help themselves first, you know? Granted, yes, you do need to put yourself first, especially in dangerous situations, but for the most part, we're taught to ensure that... As somebody, Our personal safety is above yep, all. Yep, exactly. But when we have privilege to stand up sometimes, it's hard because we've never had that opportunity to practice, right? Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, to be able to stand up for yourself is in a way pretty relinquishing, right? To stand oh, up for definitely. yourself, to stand up for others especially. And if you do have the privilege to, it feels almost as if this is the moment where you actually get to respect yourself, your identity, your ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think it is 
so healing, especially with all of the trauma that we've personally faced or even the learned trauma generationally, right? Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the immigrant story, the refugee story. And I think we have an opportunity when we do stand up to shatter and to break some of these generational traumas to then write a new history. I mean, you're basically just loving yourself, right? You're, you're standing yeah. up for yourself or people yeah. in your community in general. So I think that's, that's a really important part to, to kind of take away from this because it's really, it's really easy to really get angry yeah. and I guess just angry about this situation and try to fight back. But it's, it's really important to actually stand up for yourself and do it respectfully. Especially, you need to gauge the situation. And you have to be smart about it. You have to be cunning about this, uh, these kinds of situations. Especially when somebody might be potentially armed, potentially dangerous, if they might not just be there mentally. And I, I think you just have to really gauge and use your intuition use your awareness to figure out also you don't necessarily have to stand up by intervening too right you can stand up by exactly you can stand up by calling authorities calling on other people at that specific moment to help to amplify really right at that very moment what is happening so that you can make some action or something happen i I mean i feel like there are certain things that you can say out loud that will really kind of get people's attention like hey that's not okay um that's racist people will jump on that opportunity and try to help because i really do feel that people in the masses are generally good and will try to help each other out when these situations do arise absolutely and something that i think about too I also see this happen all the time with our queer community. If we see another queer, gay, lesbian person getting teased, right? Especially when we're younger, when we haven't really embraced our identity, we're pretty silent about it, especially for myself when I was in grade school and I was not out of the closet. When other people were getting teased and I was also getting teased during a different time, I struggled really hard to stand up for people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, it was as almost as if by standing up for someone queer, I was somehow identifying with him myself. But that's not even that's never the case. I think it really comes down to kind of empathy. I think a lot of people that are minorities are just facing some sort of oppression slash negativity. We kind of share have a shared trauma, and I do feel that in those situations that. If you stand up for others, eventually it'll come back to you and people will stand up for you, especially if you stand up for a quote-unquote brother. You know, like we're, we're all brothers when it comes down to it. Yeah. We're, we're very similar. Brothers, we're a lot more sisters, similar than we are siblings. Yeah. Exactly. We're all the same species. <laughs> yeah. And look at other species that help each other. They don't even ask questions. They just acknowledge each other and they help each other. Mm-hmm. especially you look up at the sky, you see all these birds and they're flying together in a big pack. They weren't previously to that hanging out at a bar, getting to know each other, you know, <laughs> 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 going, what's up bird? <laughs> <laughs> I like you. I don't like you. You can't fly with me, <laughs> mm. but we're all the same species. And I think we can take a page from our animal brother ends or animal siblings and just learn 
to be more compassionate. But also on the flip side, that opens a whole new conversation about having compassion for our aggressors too. I mean, a lot of those times our oppressors, it's coming out of a place of fear. Yeah, absolutely. And if you... If you really empathize with them and know how to maneuver those situations, you can you can really help the situation. You can actually yeah. enlighten people by how you approach certain kind of negativity. Yeah. And if you look at these people and look into their lives, they probably were taught racism. To be honest, just a lot of very hurtful thoughts from parents, mm-hmm. very bigoted communities and in a way it's kind of sad when we see people acting out of pain and i was listening to a talk that tim ferris had on his podcast with jane goodall the yeah the woman with the chimps yeah yeah and she had a really great point how we can really change and affect people if we aim at the heart not physically, but I, <laughs> emotionally. I know. I, I, I believe it. I believe it. I think yeah. it's just, you, we just have to reason with people. We have to kind of connect with them in a different way sometimes. Yeah. And I think if we're able to address and connect with our aggressors in some fashion or another, whether it's through hobbies or some common ground, And for them to see us, it's not to say that we have to do this, because in no way is racism great, but if we're in a place where we have the energy to expend to do this, we can create a huge monumental difference for a lot of people. And for myself, at least, there are certain friends that have had not such great language or approach to certain things and when i had the patience and when i had the kindness and compassion to sit with them to talk with them and to hear their opinion instantly even at the end of the conversation they were like i wasn't expecting that from you but thank you and they changed their tone on many different topics which have surprised me tremendously You also mentioned something that I thought was interesting that I didn't know. So the name Vincent Chen. Uh, Oh, poor guy. So so Vincent Chen was, I think this was in the early 80s, he was celebrating his uh, bachelor party um, out in the bar. And so there were two displaced American um, automotive workers that were kind of they, they were they were angry at the Japanese car industry because, you know, they were cheaper, more uh, more reliable cars. And so they just picked on this one dude. He they killed him. Basically, they beat him up. And so he died from those injuries. And basically, the two guys just got a slap on the wrist. I think it was like six months of probation. And his death was really what galvanized the Asian-American rights movement in the U.S. Uh, it really kind of bandaged together saying like, this is really unfair. This is how we're being treated. We're being treated less than equal, less than human. Like his life was taken away and these two guys, they got probation for it. I think it's really important to really identify what a hate crime is. Um, People don't realize that hate crimes are a federal offense and it's usually motivated by prejudice on the basis of someone's identity, skin color, race, 
religion, sexual orientation. And yeah. so the ramifications of those actions actually are a lot more serious than people will understand. It's at least a year in jail, jail I believe. I don't think people are aware of that. I I don't think so either. Uh, I mean, you can take into account, like, say, hate crimes like Matthew Shepard yeah. is a good uh, option for being gay. Like, he was basically killed, and those guys were put away for a very long time. That kind of situation does apply in the situation because they're they're hating against Asian Americans. Yeah. Two things. I think that's one of the opportunities that we have living in a country like the United States of America that has set up these rules in place. And on the flip side, if we're in the position of addressing and eradicating racism, by all means, we need to lean on some of these laws and use them to really put a stop in some of the unnecessary actions by our aggressors. Use it as a tool. Use it as a resource. You know, you can have confidence in these um, laws because it really does protect us as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And you had also mentioned to me, too, watching Fresh Off the Boat back then. And there was a scene that you had mentioned that resonated with you a lot in terms of empathizing with other races. It was. I think you, you forget how much the show was actually such, you know, it broke a lot of ground and it really spoke to us because there were earliest, uh, there was a scene in the earlier seasons where he was an Asian student. He went to a mostly white school. And so he had a confrontation with an African American student and his literal words were, Hey chink, you're now at the bottom of the ladder. So I'm not anymore. So you have to deal with it. Um, it's exactly what we're dealing with now. Like we're fighting each other when realistically yeah. we should empathize like, Hey, I've been there too. Just it's a musical chairs of racism. So now you're at the bottom of the rung. So why should I have to yeah. keep you there? Why can't I bring you up with me, pull you up? Like yeah. it's, it's, it honestly is just teamwork, you know, I'll pull you up. You pull me yeah. up. Exactly. Exactly. And in no way does putting another race down somehow grant us the privilege that we never got because we are inferior to other ethnicities in that regards. Mm -hmm. So in, in putting down another ethnicity, we didn't magically put down the ethnicity that weans superior to us all, right? Like, mm -hmm. in no way does... A black person being aggressive towards an Asian person or an Asian person being aggressive towards a black person, somehow that has taken privilege away from the white folks. Impossible. I mean, I will say th that kind of aggression was actually created by the oppressors because that model minority myth was created to use against us. It, it came from yellow peril to the model minority so that it created tension between African-Americans and Asian-Americans because, you know, oh, look, these people can do it. Why can't you? And so there's systematic, uh, systematic oppression and issues there that, you know, they've been keeping black people down for such a long time. And so now they want to scape some, uh, scapegoat someone else for helping them. Yep, exactly, exactly. And there is no such thing as a minor, model minority. Not at all. Not at all. 
At the end of the day, you should be able to do anything you want. You don't need to be a doctor. You don't have to be a lawyer. You can do. You, sh- you should be able to do anything you want and be wildly successful at it. And at the same time, there isn't anything you have to do to face less prejudice. There should just not be prejudice to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so. There's a lot of people who are doing amazing jobs right now in terms of speaking out about these issues that we're talking about right now, like Daniel Day Kim, Janie Mai, and Cardi B. Surprisingly, I have become oh, such I love a Cardi huge, B. <laughs> I have become She's such a huge. I, I exactly. I have become such a huge fan of her lately. One, because she is on the DL, super political. <laughs> she, Anything political happens, she is talking about it. She is interviewing Bernie Sanders. She is so much more political than what she leads on. But also, as all of this stuff that was happening with the racism against Asians, she was one of the first who dedicated stories, dedicated posts on her feed to talk about this. I mean, even even before all the coronavirus issues came along, she was actually doing videos of her doing Asian snacks. She was doing like eating certain Asian foods like chicken feed, which were generally <laughs> seen as, you know, a way, a way too exotic or strange. So she's really been an advocate for us for some time. And so this this live story was just her just saying like, hey guys, you know, I've been seeing a lot of uh, hate towards Asian Americans. I've seen a lot of them being robbed, beaten, being basically a target of uh, racism. So I want you guys to cut that out. And it's, it's meant a lot, you know, like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't think that a lot of people are giving her the credit that she deserves for that. Thank you, Cardi B. And also, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Props. And also, there has been a bunch of activists, Asian activist channels that have gained momentum during this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Next Shark, Asians with Attitudes, and your favorite, Jackfruit. I love Jackfruit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just applaud them for being able to create a space, a platform to address these issues and to allow other Asians who have faced discrimination, who have recorded it, who've had shared it, to be able to give them the attention that they deserve. And it's really created a community. Well, you know, we are part of community, but now there is an outlet for, again, a shared trauma, like these news outlets. Like we can see what is happening to other people. And as I said before, the danger is a lot closer to home than we realize. So I think it's really important to really check out these news outlets and see what's going on and seeing how it's affecting people around you because yeah. it can affect you. You can affect your mother. It can affect your father. It can affect yep. anyone in your close circle. Exactly. Exactly. And recently on the positive front, the Senate Democrats had called for a federal action on anti-Asian issues. And I applaud all of the senators that got together. It was Senator, who was it exactly? Do you remember? Uh, Maisie, 
Maisie Hirono from Hawaii, uh, Tammy Duckworth from California, and then Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. They, they band together to, to tr really take federal action against, you know, protecting Asian Americans as a whole or Asians in America as a whole. Which yeah. is really, it, it's nice to see it on that level that we're being recognized on that level. Same thing with the FBI recognizing that, you know, there has been an uptick of crimes against us. Yep, exactly. And, you know, it's, I, I, I think it's very unfortunate it had to get to that point. But during this time, we can do a couple things, right? We can spend time being so angry and posting about all of the feelings that we have around racism. And we can also do something on the flip side where we can put out there the things that we want to see more of. And some of these news of things that are happening that are good for our community really helps to set an example, but also take away some of the attention that some of the aggressors, honestly, that's all they want. They, some aggressors just really want attention, you know, and mm -hmm. they'll say the damnest thing. They'll do the worst thing possible to just get them the attention. And by putting more positivity, showcasing the people who are doing good in the community and highlighting the folks that are embracing equanimity, uh, equality, equity, I think as a community, potentially, we can make a huge difference. Oh, definitely. Um, we, once, once we have galvanized and have a vision for us, I think we can do a lot to just help. We can fight people back, like keeping up with the Kardashians or the Real Housewives with screaming, name-calling, or our favorite, like Maury, Ricky Lake, and the Bad Girls Club. Bad Girls Club, <laughs> yes! <laughs> no, we shouldn't no. be doing that. But at the end of the day, that really doesn't get our aggressors to change, you know? Mm -hmm. And if we have the privilege and we have the energy to go inwards and to kill them with kindness, right? And to ultimately embrace them as human beings because mm -hmm. sometimes a lot of this is coming out of wanting to be heard. It does go back to Andrew Yang's article about trying, being more American or whatever. I, the one point I do pull away from that is that I, me, myself, I will always act as a representative of my culture. I, I will always help people. I will always, you know, I will help people when I'm able to help them. So just setting an example sometimes is just the idea, you know, you know, you can fight back or you can really understand where this person's coming from and why they're acting this way. And you can really educate them. And, you know, like it, a lot of times Asians are so, we're so into endogamy. We stick amongst ourselves, so it just makes it easier because people understand us. But at the same time, it doesn't really help us in terms of it, we'll always consider be considered the other because we're not. You can be part of more than one community. Is what I'm saying. You can be part of the Asian American community. You can be the community part of the community locally. You know whether that's diverse or not in terms of ethnicities. But once you are able to really get to know these people and they can get to know you, 
like they'll they'll understand hey you know i knew this asian american neighbor he was really cool with me so you know you acting out on this asian american person is not cool you know like he's just trying to live his life it's just it's just trying to get people to empathize with you as well as well as being able to empathize with them yeah doing more of the things we want more of right a little more kindness, you know. <laughs> a little more kindness, yeah, exactly. Just be smart about the situation. Just stand up for yourself. The ramifications of a person not standing up will affect us more as a whole. Meaning that if you don't stand up for yourself in the situation and you don't really correct them and really educate them on why this isn't okay, then they'll, be, they'll continue to do this to other people. You know, you, you really should take it upon yourself as a representative i guess again to really get people to understand why this isn't okay do it mindfully compassionately and with love exactly 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 and right now especially during this trying time i think it's a great opportunity to also hit up those that we have lost communication with to remind ourselves that we're all human we're all connected and to mm-hmm. continue to foster relationships with other folks because at the end of the day we're all going through this this pandemic Together. exactly this this i mean this is one of the first times in our lifetimes at least where the entire world we're all facing a shared trauma mm-hmm. and even in terms of the quarantine too, for the first time, we're facing very similar feelings that people in Italy are facing, that also people in Korea are facing too, which is China, unheard of, exactly, in China at the same time. And I really hope that we can ultimately walk away from all of this with a lot more empathy for each other and... It's just also crazy that for the first time, all of our wars have stopped dead in its tracks. <laughs> Everything, all these battles with China on import exports, all these wars fighting over terror, all the all of this just stopped dead in its tracks when this virus, who doesn't clearly does not discriminate has now spread all around the world. And for once in our lifetimes, we're able to witness something, which is crazy because we're able to witness the equality of the virus, right? In a way, the equality of this virus and how it has shaped up and unfolded in front of our very eyes. Very well said. So there are so many resources out there that you can tap into. One of the biggest ones I know that has started in New York City is this one called Stop AAPI Hate, where you can report anti-Asian harassment or hate crimes. There's a bunch of different contact methods, and I'll post in the show notes. And there's also all these Instagram accounts, right? Oh, yeah. Like um, Jackfruit, Agents with Attitude, um, NSL, NSL. Rebel Yellow, I believe, and then Jackfruit. Um, Jackfruit's great because they also have a heat map of all the Asian American um, incidences right now. So they'll show you all the racist incidences that have happened around the U.S., which is really helpful. 
Oh, that's amazing. And you can shoot them a DM and they'll get back to you. You can even tag them. Just at them on Instagram, and Twitter, on Facebook. They are very diligent. Mm-hmm. They're super diligent about this. Which is, I applaud them for it. It's just, thank you so much for all of your work because there are people who are spending their free time to address all of these, which is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that where can we find you if we want to get in touch with you Derek um, you can contact me through Instagram my handle is find your fearless or you can hit me up on Facebook um, Derek Anson A-N-H-S-O-N and we can talk from there shoot me a line amazing and you can reach out to me at Stephen Wakabayashi on Instagram or at Waku, W-A-K-U-U on Facebook and Twitter because my full name was too long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? It is. And I, <laughs> I just can't get my whole name. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, funny. And so what is... One little bit of advice, last takeaway you want everyone to um, hear as a part of this podcast. Um, let's see. I think I think it's really important to be aware of your situation and the situation around you and just really gauge how people are feeling and why people are feeling this way. Really step outside your own emotions to, to really kind of understand why this person is acting this way and how to navigate that situation so that you can educate but as well as keep yourself safe. Yep. Amazing. And my little bit of advice is do more of what you want to see in the world. If it's love and compassion, do more love and compassion. (laughs) Simple as that. Very poetic. (laughs) Very poetic. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it was so good talking to you, Derek. Thank you so much for coming on again. Anytime. (laughs) Amazing. And if you'd enjoy this, please give us a rating on Apple iTunes. You can give us some stars and it takes a few seconds. And if you have a minute, give us a comment. We love that. And so with that, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you stay safe, stay well, and hope your day can be a little bit more mindful. (laughs) Bye now. Bye-bye.